We turn in sacred scripture this morning to John chapter 3 and John chapter 18. Two passages from the book of John. John chapter 3, the first eight verses, and John 18, starting at verse 28. We read these passages in connection with Lord's Day 48 of the Heidelberg Catechism that gives us instruction on the second petition. So as we read these passages, notice the instruction that God's Word gives us regarding the kingdom and the instruction Jesus directly gives us regarding His kingdom. John 3, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, where it wants to, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, where it comes from, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. That's John chapter 3, and then John chapter 18, starting at verse 28. This is Jesus early in the morning of His crucifixion. John 18, verse 28. Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, and it was early. And they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? They answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. That the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? 
Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Notice especially verse 36. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews, and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. But ye have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. So those are two important passages from Scripture that give us instruction on the kingdom of God. It's in connection with these passages, it's on the basis of these passages and other passages that we read Lord's Day 48 of the Catechism, found on page 26 in the back of the Psalter. Lord's Day 48. Which is the second petition? Thy kingdom come. That is, rule us. So by thy word and spirit, that we may submit ourselves more and more to thee. Preserve and increase thy church. Destroy the works of the devil and all violence which would exalt itself against thee. And also all wicked counsels devised against thy holy word. Till the full perfection of thy kingdom take place, wherein thou shalt be all in all. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, it seems that throughout history there has been much confusion concerning the kingdom of God and what it is. In Jesus' day already, there was much confusion. In Jesus' day, the vast majority of the Jews were looking for an earthly kingdom, an earthly kingdom that would conquer and supplant the Roman Empire. We read in John chapter 3, Nicodemus' confusion. We read in John 18, Pilate's confusion. We could read in John chapter 6, how after Jesus performed the miracle of feeding the 5,000, the people wanted to take Him by force and make Him their king. And they wanted to make Him their king, emphatically an earthly king, because they saw that He could supply them with bread, earthly bread. They wanted an earthly king with earthly bread. At the time of Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus' kingdom is a main topic of concern for Pilate. Pilate didn't want Jesus to be a threat to the kingdom of Caesar. He didn't want to set Jesus free lest Jesus attempt to challenge the rule of Caesar. And remember, when Pilate was about to set Jesus free, he got scared of the people again. Because the people said, if thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. So there's confusion here about what Jesus' kingdom 
was. Even Jesus' own disciples were confused about the matter. Even in the book of Acts, before Jesus ascends into heaven, in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, they were still confused about Jesus' kingdom. In Acts 1, verse 6, the disciples, still hoping for an earthly kingdom, asked Jesus, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom unto Israel? So there is confusion about what Jesus' kingdom is and what God's kingdom is. This confusion has continued throughout history. Just think in the Middle Ages about the Crusades. One of the goals of the Crusades was to reclaim the Holy Land of Israel and in some sense reestablish the kingdom of God in Jerusalem, in that physical city. Just think of the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church is glad to identify the kingdom of God with its own papal organization. Today, for many fundamentalists and evangelicals all over the world, the kingdom of God is this future Jewish nation in Palestine that will be ruled by King Jesus from Jerusalem for a thousand years. That's the earthly kingdom of the, of the premillennial dispensationalists. For others, the kingdom of God is a future world here on earth that is characterized by the absence of war, absence of poverty and disease and discrimination, a time of earthly prosperity. That's the kingdom of God of the post-millennials. They all think of Jesus' kingdom as if it were something earthly. Even within Reformed communities close to us, there's a discussion and disagreement as to what the kingdom of God is. The question is, what is the relationship between the kingdom of God and the church? Are these essentially referring to the same thing, the kingdom of God and the church, or are they referring to different things entirely? All of this is a pressing issue because this is also what confronts our young adults at Christian colleges. At the Christian college, there is much talk of the kingdom of God and building God's kingdom, and doing kingdom work. And yet all that language is, is often used to focus our attention on pursuing social justice, fighting poverty, building schools, and finding cures for diseases. As if that is what the kingdom of God is actually about. As if that is actually at the heart of the mission of King Jesus. As if that's the reason Jesus came to earth, and that's how Jesus is going to expand his kingdom by God's people fighting a battle against poverty and against disease and against social inequality and against discrimination against those who are so-called underprivileged. And it can become very confusing because the language sounds good. It sounds desirable. I want to be busy with kingdom work. And the Bible talks about the kingdom a lot, even more than we might think. And the work is often good work. But the language there is actually very dangerous because, again, it's a very earthly conception of the kingdom of God. It promotes a wrong understanding of what the kingdom of God actually is. And in the end, it, it leads God's people away from a proper understanding even of the gospel itself and the hope and the joy and the calling we have in Jesus Christ. Well, in light of all the confusion there is about the kingdom of God, the responsibility is ours to understand what we are actually praying when we pray this second petition, thy kingdom come. So that's what we're going to focus on this morning. Most of our attention is going to be on point one, what the kingdom of God is. So we take as our theme, praying for the coming of our Father's kingdom. And we look at two things. First, what the kingdom is. 
And then second, the prayer for the coming of that kingdom. So what is the kingdom of God? Well, we've stated to some extent what it isn't. Negatively, we've stated what it isn't. Now let us state positively what it is. And a nice definition of the kingdom of God is this. The kingdom of God is the spiritual rule. The spiritual rule of the triune God through Jesus Christ. And Jesus does this rule. He exercises this rule by His Holy Spirit in the hearts and lives of His elect people. The kingdom of God is the spiritual rule of God through Jesus Christ in the hearts and lives of His people. Yes, we understand that God is also the one who rules over all things by His absolute sovereign power. He is King of the universe. But that's not what we're talking about here, really, when we're talking about the kingdom of God in the second petition. We're talking about the spiritual rule of God in the hearts and lives of His people, through Jesus Christ, by the Spirit of Christ. What we should immediately understand from this definition, from this explanation, is that God's kingdom is emphatically spiritual. That's why we read from both John chapter 3 and John chapter 18, because in both those passages, Jesus emphasizes that very thing. In John chapter 3, Jesus says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And what Jesus means is this, in order to see the kingdom of God, you need spiritual eyes. You need to be raised from spiritual death to spiritual life and your spiritual eyes opened by faith so that you can see the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is spiritual. You need spiritual eyes to see it. In John chapter 18, verse 36, Jesus says to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. And what Jesus is emphasizing there in John 18 is this, my kingdom is not an earthly physical kingdom. If my kingdom were of this world, if my kingdom were an earthly physical kingdom, then my disciples, my servants would fight. They would take out their swords and fight against the Jews so that I might not be delivered unto the Jews. But but what did Jesus even say to Peter the night before? Put your sword back because my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. In one more passage, Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, Jesus says says it very explicitly. Luke 17, verses 20 and 21, The kingdom of God cometh not by observation. You can't see it with your eyes. Neither shall they say, Lo here, or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Luke 17, verse 21, God's kingdom is emphatically spiritual. It is God's rule. His spiritual rule in the hearts and then the lives of His people. Now, that doesn't mean that the kingdom of God is any less real than any earthly kingdom. Sometimes, very foolishly, we think that way, right? That if it's not earthly, if it's not physical and we can't see it with our eyes, that it's somehow less real. In our Western culture, that's how people think. But that's not the case. As Christians, we understand that there is the physical reality and there is most certainly a spiritual reality. We're not just physical creatures, we are spiritual creatures. There is a spiritual reality. There is heaven and there is hell. There are angels and demons. There is sin and grace. 
the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God, is spiritual in nature. It is spiritual in nature exactly because it is God's rule in the hearts and lives of His people. It is spiritual in nature because its life and power are the very life and power of the risen and exalted Jesus Christ who through His resurrection has become a quickening spirit. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 45. We might say in a certain sense, properly understood, Jesus and everything about Jesus is spiritual. Sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. That's Jesus' resurrection. Jesus and everything about Him is spiritual and His kingdom is spiritual. So the kingdom of God does not consist of physical territory here on the earth. And the kingdom of God is not ruled by physical force or by political force. The kingdom of God does not promise or provide earthly goods, earthly peace and prosperity and privilege. The kingdom of God does not possess or display any earthly glory, power, or, or weapons, or numbers, or size. And its citizens are not citizens by virtue of any earthly characteristic, whether it be our ethnicity, or our sex, or nationality, or status, or achievement. Those things are not relevant in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is spiritual. This is also why it's called the kingdom of heaven. Because that is its nature, that is its quality. It is heavenly in nature. It is not earthly in nature, it is heavenly. That's where it originates and that is its nature. We could put it this way. The kingdom of God is the heavenly life and power of Jesus Christ breaking out into our world. Through His incarnation and through His earthly ministry, the kingdom of heaven came into our world properly understood. We know in the Old Testament, God had His church and God had His kingdom then. But this is even how Jesus Himself preached. Repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Through His incarnation, the kingdom of God was breaking into our world. This is Jesus' suffering and death on the cross. Through His suffering and death on the cross, the foundations of that kingdom were laid. A foundation of righteousness Everlasting righteousness. By the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, that kingdom burst forth into this world in a very powerful way. And through the preaching of the gospel, first by the apostles and then by faithful churches, Jesus extends his kingdom throughout the whole world. And yet all of this is spiritual. The kingdom is spiritual. And how does Jesus extend his kingdom? How does Jesus build his kingdom? Because we hear that language, don't we? Well, he extends his kingdom and he builds it up by translating fallen, dead, totally depraved sinners, translating them out of the kingdom of darkness, translating them into his kingdom of light, making them partakers of his life and his power through the bond of faith and by establishing his rule of grace in their hearts. You see, this is the reality in the world. There are two spiritual kingdoms in the world. There's the kingdom of Satan, characterized by sin. And there's the kingdom of God, characterized by righteousness. And every single person in this entire world either belongs to the kingdom of Satan right now or belongs to the kingdom of God 
right now. And the citizens of the kingdom of God are those, as Colossians 1 verse 13 puts it, whom God hath delivered from the power of darkness and hath translated into the kingdom of His dear Son, and who are now under the rule of His grace, who live by faith in His promises and who walk in the paths of righteousness. Before they are translated into the kingdom of Jesus Christ, they are in the kingdom of Satan. They are under His rule and slave to Him and slave to sin. But when Jesus saves a man, you see, Jesus enters that man's heart and He casts off that rule of Satan and He establishes His own rule of grace in the heart of that man or that woman or that child. And by the way, this is why Arminianism is wrong. Because Arminianism would teach that man delivers himself by choosing for Christ, by, by choosing to join himself to that kingdom of God. But the fact is this, if we understand things rightly, if God does not first bring us into his kingdom, we remain spiritually dead and in bondage to sin under the rule of the devil in the kingdom of darkness, so that in that condition, we don't even desire to be saved. We are really, in that state, enemies of the kingdom of heaven. But you see, this is emphatically how Jesus builds his kingdom. This is what Jesus does. He ransacks that kingdom of darkness, and he, he finds, as it were, his elect, and he he plucks them out and he gathers them out of that kingdom of darkness, brings them into his kingdom, and then he preserves them in that kingdom of light. And, and he, he protects them and he builds them up and he nurtures them. They are like sheep who are gone astray and he goes out and he finds them and he brings them into his kingdom. And when that happens, when that happens, that's when a person is born again. When a that's when a person is regenerated. That's what Jesus is talking about in John chapter 3. That person is raised to spiritual life. And then that man, raised to spiritual life, can choose to walk in God's ways. And, and, and praise the Lord. That's the work of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. That's Colossians 1 verse 13. God has delivered us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. And now brought back to spiritual life, we live unto God. So the kingdom of God is emphatically spiritual. And by the way, when that happens, that regenerating work, that's when a person can see the kingdom of God with the eyes of faith. He's born again. You must be born again. So the kingdom of God is emphatically spiritual. Yes, the church is gathered on the earth. Yes, the church meets in earthly buildings. Yes, the church is made up of God's elect who live their earthly lives as citizens, also of earthly kingdoms, of the nation of the United States. But the church is not earthly. The church is spiritual. The kingdom of God is spiritual. That's the first thing I would emphasize. The kingdom of God is spiritual. The second main thing I would emphasize about the kingdom of God is that the kingdom of God is emphatically His kingdom. It's the kingdom of God in every way. So that in this kingdom, God rules. God is the king. It's called the kingdom of God because God is the one as king who establishes the kingdom, who maintains this kingdom, and who perfects this kingdom and brings it to its perfect realization. 
God conceived of this kingdom in his eternal decree. God founded this kingdom on the foundation of Christ's righteousness, the foundation that was laid in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And God builds up this kingdom by the preaching of the gospel. And he brings everyone who is a citizen, according to eternal election, he brings everyone who is a citizen into this kingdom by the sovereign wonder of regeneration. And having regenerated them, he also sanctifies every citizen to live the life of the kingdom. And he preserves them unto the day when they shall be brought into the perfection of that kingdom in the new heavens and new earth. He is the one who will perfect that kingdom in the day of Jesus Christ, raising the dead and renewing the entire creation of heaven and earth. And that's what we pray for in part when we pray, Thy kingdom come. We'll look at that in a moment, at the end of the, really at the end of the sermon. God and God only is the creator of the kingdom. He is the sovereign one. The kingdom comes from him, not from man. The kingdom, therefore, depends upon God, upon God only. That's why this is a prayer, because we're looking to God to do this. Thy kingdom come. The kingdom of God is also God's in this sense, that everything about the kingdom is God-centered. That's the attitude He sweetly works in our hearts by His Holy Spirit. He is the King. We bow down and worship the King. And all our wills and our pleasure, all our lives are, are so subject to the King that we follow His Word in everything. At least that's how it ought to be. And that's how it is in principle. Christ ruling in the center of our being, in our hearts. God's Word governs the life and behavior of the citizens of that kingdom. It's like God's Word governs our personal and private lives. Because we're citizens of his kingdom. It governs our relationships. It even governs how we eat and drink. He is the king. We are his servants. And he is the one unto whom all glory and honor belongs. And if you are a citizen of the kingdom and you've seen the glory of the king, then this is the attitude you have. Now this kingdom can also be referred to as the kingdom of Christ. It's the kingdom of God. Emphatically, we can also speak of it as the kingdom of Christ. In fact, in John 18, verse 36, Jesus says that the kingdom is His kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world. It's the kingdom that God has given to Jesus Christ for Jesus to rule on behalf of God. That's what happened with Jesus' ascension into heaven. God, as it were, you know, spiritually speaking, gave Jesus that golden crown and that golden scepter, and he gave him all power and all authority to rule, not just over all things, but to rule the kingdom of God on behalf of God. This is a kingdom whose foundations have been established in the blood and righteousness and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the kingdom of God is emphatically God's kingdom and Jesus' kingdom. The third main thing that I would emphasize this morning about this kingdom of God is this. Not only is the kingdom of God spiritual, not only is it emphatically God's kingdom, but third, this kingdom manifests itself. It shows itself, it reveals itself here on earth in the church. And we can even say this. On the earth, in this present age, the kingdom of God is realized in the church. The church is the kingdom of God. 
Now that brings us to that question of whether there's a difference between the kingdom of God and the church. And we can get very nuanced here and specific in particular. And we can think ahead to heaven when the full perfection of God's kingdom takes place, right? Christ returns, He creates the new heavens and new earth. Then the kingdom of God will include the new heavens and the new earth. All of heaven will be part of the kingdom of God. And in that kingdom, the church will be, as it were, the capital city, the new Jerusalem in the new heavens and new earth. So in heaven, God's kingdom will include the members of the church as its citizens, but the kingdom of God is going to include all the new creation. But the point is, right here and right now, in this present age, the kingdom of God is only realized in the church. Again, remember what we've been emphasizing. The kingdom of God is God's rule, His spiritual rule in the hearts of His people. And just ask yourself, where does God rule by His Spirit? Where are the people who bow willingly to God in Christ by believing the gospel and obeying His word? Where are righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost? Where is truth? Where in the past 2,000 years of New Testament history has there always been these realities? And where alone have these realities been found? The answer to that question will be the identification of the kingdom of God. The answer to that question will show you what the kingdom, where is the kingdom of God. And the answer is this, the church. In this age, the church is the kingdom of God. There is where you see God ruling through Jesus Christ and by His Holy Spirit. This is the confession of the Reformed faith, both among the Reformed churches and the Presbyterians. We have it here in Lord's Day 48. Preserve and increase thy church. That's what we're praying when we pray thy kingdom come. That's also in the Westminster Confession of Faith, where it's put this way. The visible church, which is also Catholic or universal under the gospel, is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the Confession of Faith uh, 25.2, chapter 25, article 2. The church, that's where God exercises His gracious rule in the hearts and lives of His people, and that's His kingdom. The church and the members of that church, where Christ is ruling by His grace, that's where you find the kingdom of God in this life. And what we should understand and appreciate is that we're not just talking here now about the invisible church, the elect, regenerated people of God who are living in the world. We're talking here also specifically about the instituted church, the local instituted congregation. The local congregation that bears the marks of the true church, that is the kingdom of God in this world. Beloved, here this morning, we are the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom of God. What are we doing right now? Right now even, as a church, we are exercising one of the keys of the kingdom, the preaching. Grace PRC is the manifestation in this world of the spiritual kingdom of God. And every other true church is also. Yes, the kingdom of God is spiritual, 
We understand that. But just because it's spiritual doesn't mean it doesn't show itself here on earth. It certainly does. Recognize that everything that we're doing here this morning is spiritual. What exists here this morning is spiritual. Don't look at the walls. Don't look at the pews. Don't look at the carpet. That's physical. Those things are irrelevant. That's why we don't have pictures either or or banners. Those things are irrelevant. Look at the worship. Look at the preaching. Listen to the preaching. Look at the administration of the sacraments. Look at the what the elders are doing. All of it is spiritual work. Consider right now, in this moment, we are meeting with God. We are fellowshipping with God, face to face with God. God has taken us, as it were, into heaven for a moment. We are in the holy of holies, in prayer certainly, and in the preaching. Right now, the King is speaking to us. Consider also this, Jesus Christ exercises his kingship through a body of elders whom he has called into holy office. They are rulers in the church. They administer the word of the king. Look also at our communion here today and every Sunday, our fellowship. This is spiritual fellowship. It's caring for each other with the love of Christ. It's admonishing one another. It's bringing forth the fruits of the Spirit. And this is the kingdom of God as it comes to manifestation, as it reveals itself here on this earth. This is Christ ruling in us and through us by His Word and Spirit. And you see it. And that's the kingdom of God. So you see the kingdom of God in the instituted congregation. And then you also see it in the personal lives of the members of the instituted congregation as the members of that congregation live out of the means of grace that we enjoy in the local instituted church. Look at your homes. Look at your families. What do you see there? You see Christ dwelling in your midst ruling you by His Word and Spirit. That's the kingdom of God. And your lives of holiness, your day-to-day lives of devotion to God reveals to other and each other the fact that there is a kingdom of God. Because the only explanation for your holy living, the only explanation for your antithetical life, fighting against the kingdom of darkness, is the fact that Christ is there, ruling in your hearts and lives by His Word and Spirit. There must be another kingdom than the kingdom of darkness. And that kingdom is the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Christ. And that's shown in our lives. Now, when we consider all of this, we see that all of this has huge implications. I want to emphasize just two things this morning. First of all, it means this. If we know what the kingdom of God is, and if we have a true and serious concern for the kingdom of God and for doing kingdom work, and we have a love for the kingdom of God, It will show itself in a deep, deep love for the church. When we pray, thy kingdom come, 
We are praying for the church and we are praying for the local instituted congregation. And that's not only true because of what I've just said, that the instituted church is the manifestation of the kingdom of God here on earth. But it's also true when you think of it this way. The fact that the instituted church is also what God uses to maintain His kingdom and extend His kingdom. How does God protect you? How does God maintain you as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? Through the church. Through the means of grace. Through the keys of the kingdom that are found in the instituted church. Preaching, which is done by the church. Discipline, which is done by the church. If we love the kingdom of God, if we are zealous for the kingdom of God, it means we will have a deep, passionate love for the church. You can't be a member of the kingdom of God and not have a deep love for the instituted church and her members. And of course, that also means faithfully attending church and seeking it out. And I want to point this out. I make a point of this because at least in my own limited experience, there are some who talk about kingdom building and kingdom work in such a way that they virtually denigrate and despise the place of the local church. So that you might even experience it in Christian colleges where they almost talk as if the Christian college is even more important or more relevant in our day for kingdom building than the church. Practically, that's how people even behave themselves. College students can even fall into this, where their devotion suddenly becomes more to their college and college life and their whole college atmosphere than to the church institute. And for all of us, as much as we love our Christian schools, we should understand, without the church, those schools don't even exist. I'm not minimizing the school, but I am emphasizing the church. It's out of the church And it's out of the lives of the members of the church that explains the schools, that explains the Christian colleges. It is our life in the church. It's our membership in the church that determines our life at college and that even determines what the people, you know, the board of those colleges do. You can't be a Christian and you can't be brought into the kingdom of God. You can't be saved without the church. The church, we understand this properly, the church is the very kingdom into which a person is brought when he is saved. He's brought into the church, which in this world is the kingdom of God. Christ establishes his rule in their hearts. The second thing I want to emphasize is this. If we understand what the kingdom of God is, Well, that also helps shed light on what kingdom work actually is. We are called to do kingdom work. Now, the idea is not this, that we are the ones who are ushering God's kingdom, that we are expanding the borders of God's kingdom here on this earth. That's wrong language. Only God can establish his rule of grace in the heart of a dead sinner. God is the one who builds and extends his kingdom. But we are called to do kingdom work. And what is that kingdom work? Kingdom work is simply living in all aspects of our lives under the rule 
of the king. Doing our work. Living as servants of the king. Carrying out the calling and station that he has tasked us with. That's pretty simple. A faithful wife. Or a mother in the home. Doing the laundry or cooking the meals. Inasmuch as she does that work in the service of God. For the glory and honor of her king. Being diligent in the calling and station. And with the work that the king has given her to do. She is busy doing kingdom work. A faithful husband. A faithful father working long days with his tool belt strapped around his waist or his paintbrush in his hand. Inasmuch as he is doing that work in the service of his king, serving him, him, in the calling and station that, that has been given him, he's busy doing his kingdom work. And then to be sure, as servants of the great king, we also do kingdom work by telling others about our great king, showing others the joy and the peace we have living under the rule of our most gracious king. We can't stop talking about the king. He is so glorious. His rule is so sweet. Oh, to be a member, a citizen of his kingdom is glory itself. This then is what the kingdom of God is. It is the spiritual rule of the triune God through Jesus Christ. He's given Jesus that work, that position to rule his kingdom and Jesus rules that kingdom by His Holy Spirit and by His Word. Ruling in the hearts and then out of the heart in the lives of His people. Well, having a clear understanding of what the kingdom of God is, which is so fundamental, we can be rather brief about what we mean when we pray, Thy kingdom come. What do we mean in this second petition? Thy kingdom come. Well, the catechism puts it so beautifully. Now you understand why the catechism is so clear and so simple. Rule us. Rule us. Rule me. Rule our marriage. Rule our family. Rule this church. Rule us so by thy word and spirit that we may submit ourselves more and more unto thee. Let thy kingdom come within me. More and more, first of all, write thy law upon my heart that I might no longer live anymore for my little kingdom here on this world, but I might live for thy kingdom's honor and glory. That's simple enough. Rule me, rule us. Then, catechism goes on and says, preserve and increase thy church. The invisible church, yes, Rule in, rule in the hearts of all thy people more and more. But also the instituted church. This church, prosper and increase, preserve and increase, grace, Protestant, reformed church. Pr- prosper and preserve her spiritually. Cause us to understand and, and set forth and enjoy and defend and live the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ more fully. We know his victory over death in the grave. We know the foundations of his kingdom are eternal, founded on his righteousness. Let us exalt in that and then then enjoy that and live accordingly. Give us peace in our midst. Bless our unity and fellowship. Bless the office bearers. Prosper our mission work. Prosper our evangelism efforts. 
preserve and increase thy church wherever she is found in the world. Every true church bearing the marks of the true church. Then destroy the works of the devil and all violence which would exalt itself against thee and also all wicked counsels devised against thy holy word. Destroy the kingdom of darkness. Right? We are in a battle. This is warfare. Destroy all violence which would try to hurt or destroy God's kingdom and God's people. Destroy all the enemies which would try to draw us away from our king and which would try to bring us back under the rule and bondage of sin and Satan. Thy kingdom come. And then finally, till the full perfection of thy kingdom take place, wherein thou shalt be all in all. Oh yes, in a sense, the kingdom is already here. After all, we are already members of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is within you. I like to ask that question to the younger catechism students. Are you a member of the kingdom of God? And I think half the time what they say is, well, in heaven we will be members of the kingdom of heaven. But no, already now. You are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven because Christ is ruling in your heart. But we want that kingdom to come in the fullness of all its glory. We still have that old man of sin and the motions of sin in our flesh. This world is still full of rebellion against Christ. But there is coming a day when there will be no more sin. There will be no more rebellion. There will be no more pain and no more death because Satan and the whole kingdom of darkness will be cast into the lake of fire. And Christ will bring forth the new heavens and the new earth and then His righteousness will pervade everything. And we, in body and soul, will be glorified. Our bodies will be raised, spiritual bodies, and we, in body and soul, will be perfectly ruled by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And then thinking about that, we certainly say, yes, thy kingdom come. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Then the kingdom of Satan will be finally and completely destroyed. Then the saints will be perfectly righteous and free of all sin and perfectly devoted to thy name. Then thy glory will fill the earth and then thou shalt be all in all. That's the perfection we are waiting for. That's the perfection we are longing for. And that's the prayer Jesus teaches us to make. It's beautiful instruction. Beloved, may God give us the grace to pray this prayer with a right understanding. And may He also give us the peace of knowing that He who taught us to pray this will also answer our prayers and grant us the coming of His kingdom more and more. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank Thee for teaching us how to pray. We want to pray better, more intentionally, more intelligently. Bless this preaching then to our hearts and to our lives and to our prayer lives, that in our prayers we might show Thee our thankfulness by by praying in a way that honors Thy great and holy name. We pray that thy kingdom may come, and first and foremost even within us, rule us, preserve and increase thy church, destroy the works of the devil and all violence which would exalt itself against thee and thy holy word. And we pray, Father, that Jesus Christ might come soon, that he might come quickly, 
all things according to thy will, because thou dost know how to hallow thy name and how thy kingdom should come. And that is our first petition, that thy name might be hallowed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.